All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Dante. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm going to be reading to you today from Mark 1, through 39. So let's go. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sundown, they brought him all the people who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered together about the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of God for the people of God. Um, hi, I'm Juan Pablo. I am the uh, side pastor here at Wicker Park. I'm so glad uh, to be here with you today. Thank you for, um, to Caleb for last Sunday. I was able to go to San Francisco and take a training on um, how to have dialogue with people that think differently from each other. Um, in our case, uh, folks that uh, don't believe that, um, that uh, Christianity and LGBTQ, that those two cannot be in the same sentence. And so it was a, it was a great training. And then I went on a retreat with um, ecumenical group of folks um, we had rabbis, we had leaders of uh, Unitarian churches and uh, Christians coming together to think about social justice um, and what that means and how we can work together. So it was really great. And then right into Ash Wednesday, I uh, was able to um, worship with a couple of churches and I got to uh, practice Spanish, which was awesome. So uh, I don't get to do that very often. And so I'm glad to be here today. But Sunday, while we were um, kind of in the middle of resting and finding peace and, and, um, and getting to know each other at the retreat, we watched the Super Bowl. Watched, I'll put that lightly. <laughs> I, did, I watched the commercials and I watched the halftime show. Um, but in it, while we were watching it, oh, and Beyonce. That's what, that was my favorite commercial. Um, and um, we now have country music from Beyonce, which I love. Um, but uh, in that, we were kind of watching a couple of other commercials that, um, like Marky Mark um, had a commercial um, around Lent. And then we saw a couple of commercials um, called He Gets Us. Um, and it was an ad with different people, and they were washing uh, people's feet of people that seemed to be opposite of who they were. Um, there was a cop washing a black person's feet. There was a woman washing a younger uh, woman's feet in front of a family planning clinic. Um, there were uh, images of uh, another woman washing a Muslim woman's feet. We get an understanding that maybe the, that woman was Christian. Um, there was a man uh, washing a Native American's feet, and and towards the end, a priest with tattoos washing what seemed to be a queer man's feet. Um, so he gets us. Jesus didn't teach hate. 
he washed feet. And I had some feelings, and other people in, in, that were with us had different um, thoughts on it, but we were on a retreat, so we didn't even look at social media until we, we got out. Um, and for me, if I took a closer look, I, for me, saw another message being told. Because in eight of the 12 ads, the person doing the feet washing was a put-together, cisgender-presenting white person. Um, and some of them were washing the feet of the other. Um, there was the oil driller washing the feet of a clean air protester. There was a Gen Z washing the feet of an aging relative in the kitchen. And we're supposed to read this as something kind of cool, right? A message of opposites coming together despite their differences. But if you look at how the people washing other people's feet, they all look the same. Then you get a sense of maybe some sort of performa performativity. Did I say that right? You got it. <laughs> wow, that's a big word. Um, and somehow for me, I'm like, was that actually sincere if all of the people washing feet all look the same? and the other were getting their feet washed. And you wouldn't pay attention un unless you're me, and that's all I think about. <laughs> um, and so it got a lot of backlash from the left and the right. Some people said that Jesus would only wash the feet of people that had been repentant of their sin, but they forget that in the Bible, Jesus washed Judas' feet before Judas sold them out for some silver, and he washed Peter's feet before Peter denied him three times. So maybe that wasn't right. And then there are others that said, with a side eye, they paid millions of dollars for this ad when they could have fed the homeless and fed the hungry. Um, and these are the same people that sure had a, a lot of money to make sure that LGBT, uh, LGBTQ people didn't have rights, mm -hmm. such as that case of the wedding cake and the baker. Uh, that did not want, they paid for that, uh, to, go that to go to court and to go to the Supreme Court. Same people that paid for this ad. Uh, what's it? The Greens from Oklahoma City. Yes. Oh, look at you. Yes. From Oklahoma City. Well, <laughs> Ty would know about that. <laughs> um, and so when they did this court case about the wedding cake, they said it goes against our religious beliefs and we believe that we shouldn't have to bake this cake for a same-sex couple. Um, and they won. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Well, side note, uh, last year, they, uh, a trans person went into a bakery, same one, and said, bake me a cake. I want it to be pink and white because I want to celebrate my transition to another gender. And they went back to court. The, the baker refused based again on their sincere Christian beliefs and their right to free speech. But this time they lost. And so now the baker had to make this cake, <laughs> pink and blue. Um, so when I think about this ad and other things, I think about evangelism, which Jesus is by these commercials, um, there are different viewpoints of who Jesus was. And so this month, we're going to start a new ser sermon series, uh, and it's called Letting Go and Adding On, especially during 
let, and we're going to focus on sacrifice as a method of evangelism. And for me, evangelism just means um, communicating the message of Jesus Christ. Just simple as that. So was the ad that he gets us, was this an evangelism tool? I think so. Uh, would you pray with me? God, as we search the scriptures and find the magic within it, um, and the different uh, ways that we can see you, we ask that you would speak to us. Uh, show us uh, the, the Jesus you want us to see today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're here in this book of Mark. Um, and Mark is kind of a short recap of the ministry of Jesus and Jesus' life. And it, it doesn't start like some other gospels with the birth and maybe genealogy. It goes right to right to the point. Um, it proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. And the first verses say, uh, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths right. And so, According to TikTok scholar Dan McClellan, um, if you watch him, he goes into a lot of uh, Bible uh, verses. Um, Dan says that the Bible is not univocal. Uh, it's a collection of a lot of different voices that are saying different things to different points of view, to different people in different languages and different points of history for different reasons. So when we try to force it to say the same thing, or to be seen through just one lens or through one voice, then we're imposing on the Bible what we needed to say. And usually, we center the passages that we want in order to say what we needed to say. And guess what? That means that we ignore the passages that don't say what we needed to say, um, and we do it all the time. Um, here's some examples. Um, where Mark portrays Jesus as this like low-key Messiah who doesn't want people to know who he is, and Mark is called the Messianic secret. He doesn't want anyone to know who he is. In Luke, it says that Jesus went to his hometown. I'll read this in Luke 4. It says, Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, went into the synagogue, and read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he tells everyone that's there, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He, no secret there. He went right for it. He told them who he was and what he came to do. Whereas in Mark, he told everyone, don't say anything. So when it comes to Jesus, there are the two and only two options. You can create your own version of Jesus, or you can accept the Jesus that has been created for you by me, maybe by other pastors, by your parents, whoever it is. Um, they can present this consistent vision of who Jesus was. And here's a recurring theme for me if I were to think about who Jesus is to me. 
To me, Jesus was all about kingdom and empire of God. And it says it throughout, God, uh, throughout Mark. The empire, the kingdom of God is about repentance, and it's about social transformation. So you might be like, okay, Juan Pablo, enough is enough. <laughs> we get it. Jesus loves social justice. <laughs> and we have those conversations all the time. Um, I get it. This is my version of Jesus that I'm, I'm giving you, right? In, verse, in chapter 10, it describes a Jesus that was a servant leader. Um, in uh, chapters 4, chapters 10, it says that greed is an obstacle to the kingdom of God. Um, and Mark, he wants to topple the Roman Empire. And you can see that in the story of the legion where he sends all these demons into the pigs and the pigs leave. For me, that's his... Um, way of telling this story of saying one day we will devour the whole legion all this kingdom is coming down and jesus caused a whole bunch of disturbance at the temple in jerusalem this was the political and financial hub of of the roman empire not the roman empire of the of the people of uh there of the jews and what happened was that these religious leaders were colluding with the Roman Empire, and so Jesus turned some tables, right? And so for me, this messianic secret that Jesus doesn't want to be known as a miracle worker, that Jesus wants to reveal who he is, that he wants to wait, it's like a surprise twist at the end. We don't know if we didn't read the other books. We don't know what's happening until the end. He reveals who he is at the cross and at the resurrection. And he shows everyone who he is. His identity is fully revealed there. And so for me, Mark 1, it sets up the framework for the ministry that Jesus is going to do for the rest of the book. Um, he's casting out demons, he's healing, he's preaching, he's teaching, and now we encounter his first healing here. So he enters uh, the house of Simon and Andrew, and they tell him that Simon's mother-in-law is not feeling well. She has a high fever. Um, and in verse 31, it says that Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. This is a, a simple action, reaching out, grabbing someone, bringing them up, but to me it speaks volumes of who he's holding hands with in a society where he had only hung out with men up to then. He heals the per first person he, does, he heals is this woman, and he touches her, um, imparting onto her healing. It's simple, it's direct, um, probably not as elaborate as his other miracles of healing, but here he embodies action. And that, to me, speaks volumes about who he is. Um, and the fact that the first person that he heals is a woman is significant. It shows that from the very beginning, Jesus sided with the least of them because women were othered in that society. And so it also says that, that the woman got up and she started uh, serving them. And the Greek word, and I'll leave this to the ones that can speak Greek, 
Um, the same word here is the same word, um, diokonos, which is to minister, not to just serve coffee. It's really to minister. The, the interaction then, then happens from this healing, and then what it caused in this woman was to serve in a special way um, Jesus. And for me, this is an inclusive Jesus. Um, the one that, that goes out um, to society and reaches out to the ones that are forgotten, the ones that are on the margins. And so Mark here is an expert storyteller. And he paints this picture. And he says that the whole city was gathered at the door. That's interesting. The whole city was gathered right here. Um, but when it comes to Jesus' ministry, Mark is probably more realistic. Because he says the whole city is at the door, but it says that Jesus cured many, but not all. In Matthew, though, it says Jesus healed them all. In Luke, it says that Jesus healed them all. Did he heal them all or did he heal some? Different versions, right? Different pictures of, of Jesus. And so my sense is that for me, is that Mark wants to highlight just one more thing about this, uh, the epiphany of Jesus, the healer, the exorcist, the one that aims to um, be both hidden and revealed in Capernaum, in the city that they're in. And the narrative then and begins to point out that the next thing that Jesus does is to steal away and he goes to pray. And Mark is even careful to tell us what the time of the day was. It was in the morning while it was still really dark. He goes up and he went to a deserted place and he prayed there. I get up at 8.30 a.m. I am not a morning person. I do not pray in the morning. To be honest, I barely pray at noon. <laughs> Jesus then here, the first thing he does in the morning is that he goes to pray and his disciples are kind of perplexed. And it says that they begin to hunt him down. This charismatic, this uh, healer, um, whose touch for the well-being of others means a lot. Yet, this is the same Jesus that prays to be grounded in God. And the disciples and everyone else, they get anxious. They don't know what to do. They're like, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. But he knows that he needs to get away for just a little bit. It says that in this desperation, they go out to look for him. And so this Jesus that's grounded in a deep revelation of God and a deep relation to God, he announces that it's time for him to go outside of their neighborhood, to go outside of the community that they're in. And he begins to exercise he begins to preach, and he begins to heal. But the summary of Mark is not the point. The point is God. The point is Jesus prayerfully rooted within. And so for me, we need to avoid um, this full allure of popularity to be celebrity when it comes to things like that. And we have a syndrome of wanting to to do that. We get so engraved um, in the U.S. culture, and sometimes you'll see it by our Facebook posts, our social media posts, where we, 
where we uh, try to sound really religious sometimes. And we use, we use words that make us feel like we know what we're talking about. But here we have a Jesus that was a local hero. That, of Jesus using people's problems for um, a way of showing us how to walk and how to do it. And so for me, we need to accept our limitations. Maybe we can't heal them all. Maybe we can't reach everyone, but we can reach many. Um, and it says that even Jesus couldn't heal everybody. We need to find then even our own deserted place in order for us to re-energize, in order for us to uh, change our or charge our batteries, in a sense. It's an important part of our ministry. And for me, it's a good practice during Lent. So we need to go beyond just focusing on our ministry and on those who need it. Maybe even those we don't think deserve it. Because we can fall into the danger of using their needs as a way of making us look good. And so there's many forms of who is this Jesus. I'll give you an example. For me, I, I am in the community a lot. And so I speak in public. That is a public-facing Jesus. Um, Friday, we, if any of you watched it or were there, uh, we did a series on racial um, justice. But it was a time where I had to speak harshly to the Latinx community. We invited uh, black speakers and myself and someone else um, to talk about how we can come together, blacks and Latinx people, black and brown people, at this time, especially when so much shit's going on in our city. And I look out in the crowd, and all the Latinx people are on one side, and all the black people are on one side. And I, had at, I was being real nice to, throughout the whole thing. I want them to see a Jesus that's nice and fun. But then at the end, I had to say something. And I'm like, can I just say, why is everyone seated here, and why are other folks seated here? I said, why do we only have Mexican food on the menu today? Why was Spanish the first language spoken in this meeting? We're not welcoming people. We have to examine our anti-blackness in our community, and the room was very quiet. And I was shaking in my, you know, shaking a little bit, because I'm like, man, they're going to see a Jesus that is not that nice, that says, speaks truth in this matter, because we want to do something, and we want to do something new in our communities. And then we have um, Lola and George, who week after week pick up food and rescue it and take it to those that are hungry. No one knows about it because they have a messianic secret. The Jesus that they serve, that no name is not named anywhere, but is still doing the ministry. The Jesus I know is a loud Jesus that speaks truth to power in situations, two different versions, which one's right. It could be a Jesus that seemingly looks like a wizard <laughs> in some ways, a Jesus that performs magic. We call it something else. 
These are all different versions of Jesus. But one thing is true, that Jesus always has a preference for the marginalized, no matter where he goes, and that can't change. And this New Testament then challenges how we communicate it or how we evangelize it um, to others. And so this month, that's what we're doing. We're going to um, give up some stuff. And for me, I wish that we would sacrifice or give up the need to make Jesus into someone that is all about grandeur. And instead, let's add on prayer. Let's add on getting closer to God. Let's get on creating a community together. Which version are we going to communicate to others this Lent? Amen.